Coming up today, Pastor Ray Bentley points out how God's plan never fails. Whatever the world's purposes might be, whatever their plans were, they didn't realize that by crucifying Jesus, both the Jewish people and the Gentiles through the Roman military were accomplishing scripture. They were accomplishing what prophets had foretold all that would happen. Spread Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. There are times in our lives when we find ourselves in the crucible. We're facing the heat of trials and crises, and we have only one way to turn for help, the Lord God Almighty. Maybe some of us are in that kind of moment right now. Today, we'll draw strength from the Lord's example when He faced that kind of pressure. This is the hour of great testing, as we're going to begin reading the story of Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 47. It says, and while he, which we're talking about Jesus, was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. So here we read that while Jesus was still speaking with the other disciples, while he was with the 11 in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he had been praying, and he said, you've got to be awake, you've got to be alert, don't fall asleep. And the disciples had fallen asleep in the hour when Jesus needed them the most. In this moment of great crisis, you know, leading now to this betrayal, and the arrest of Jesus, and ultimately to the cross. How he wanted them to be awake. We need to be awake and we need to pray. And I'm wondering if God is now using the circumstances around the whole world to awaken us. Maybe we were asleep spiritually, and maybe we were not really listening to him or paying attention to him. And so one of the purposes I believe that God is using in these corona times is he's waking people up. He's shaking everything that can be shaken. And so here came Judas, and it says that in verse 47, he came with a great multitude with swords and clubs. Now let me define uh, this group. It says there were officers from the temple, from the chief priests. These would have been Jewish policemen, or or they were Jewish people that were uh, doing police responsibilities given power by the Roman government. But there were also not only uh, kind of the temple police, there were also, we are told we put the four gospels together, there were Roman soldiers. There were also Pharisees, leaders of the Jewish community of the Pharisees. There were also members of the Sadducees the other religious group. And then there were members from the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body. And as I read several of the commentaries on this, they said that the number of those who came and they had swords and they had clubs, it could have been as many as a thousand. A thousand armed 
you know, soldiers, police, with clubs and with swords coming for Jesus. Now, Jesus could have gone somewhere else. He went to a place where he knew Judas, who went out to betray him, would know where he was. So Jesus was not running away and he was not afraid. But here was this great multitude. Can you imagine? This is overwhelming, unnecessary force that showed up. But Jesus had no intention of dodging them, trying to hide from them. In fact, he was ready and prepared to meet them. You know, sometimes you'll hear a story where there's somebody that maybe for political reasons or other reasons, they've done something wrong. And then you will see this kind of over-exaggerated police force and helicopters and cars and guys with vests on and, you know. But whenever you see sometimes that kind of overwhelming presence and force, you can always know there's an agenda behind it. They are sending a message. It's not just that they were afraid of Jesus or his small group of disciples, but they were making a statement. They were making a statement to all of the Jewish people, to all of the Romans, and in that hour. So here's this mixed multitude, and it's a very prophetic picture of how the world, both Jewish and Gentile, was treating the Messiah. This is after three and a half years where Jesus had done nothing but do miracle after miracle, healing after healing, signs and wonders. No prophet in all of Israel's history had done the supernatural, powerful kinds of miracles. He could speak to nature and it obeyed him. He could rebuke the demonic spirits who knew who he was and cast them out. Fevers were obviously nothing to him. Blind eyes, deaf ears, the inability to speak if they were lame, and even some who were dead. Jesus already now had raised people from the dead, and just a week before he had raised a man named Lazarus that everybody in Jerusalem knew, and he was alive. And yet here they come, and instead of worshiping, this is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the one they had wanted to come for centuries, the one they had prayed for, the one that there had been hundreds of prophecies foretelling, and he came. And even the people, you know, at this very Passover were wondering, is Jesus of Nazareth, could he be the Messiah, the Son of God? But instead of worshiping the Son of God as the Messiah, they take him, arrest him with overwhelming, unnecessary force, and then they crucified him. Through 50. It says, now as his betrayer had given them a sign, whomever, so this is Judas, whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and then kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And what's interesting is that Judas acted alone. He betrayed Jesus alone. If he was so disappointed or disillusioned, why didn't he grab another disciple and say, hey, this isn't working out the way I thought it should. Does it seem like he's not the Messiah to you? Are you having the same doubts or questions that I am? Why didn't he talk to Jesus about it? 
Judas gave the appearance for three years that I love you, I follow you, I trust in you. But on the inside, he had all of these fears, all of these worries, all these concerns, all of these doubts, and finally all of this rejection. But he never let what was inside be open and honest on the outside with Jesus. In fact, the way that he now betrays Jesus, where it says he came up and gave Jesus a kiss for those who have been to the Middle East, you know that it's part of their culture that if you want to show respect for position or elders or religious people or whatever that you kiss them or you might kiss them on the hand. But there is another word that is used that describes one of fondness, of relationship, of intimacy, of friendship, if not family itself. And there you kiss them on the cheek, but you don't just kiss them once. It's like, mm, you're, you're kissing them and kissing them and kissing them. I love you, your family. So what's interesting is that while Judas that night had already made an arrangement, I'm going to betray him, he wanted it to appear to Jesus as well as to the disciples that, oh, I just happened to be here and, oh, there's my rabbi, oh, I love you and I, I just am so affectionate toward you and he's kissing and kissing and kissing him and then acting surprised like, oh, what are all these soldiers here and now they're taking you away. In other words, Judas wanted to hold the appearance of being a follower of Jesus when in reality he had already betrayed him. And that, I believe, broke Jesus' heart more than all the rest and even the betrayal of Peter because he knew what was inside of Judas. He knew that he was feigning innocence and affection. He was keeping up appearances. And what Judas did not realize is that he, in that act, betrayed with a kiss or kisses the dearest friend that he'd ever have for all of eternity. And it just is so sad. It's so sad. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. Since Pastor Ray went to heaven, so many listeners have shared comments on what his teaching means to them. Pastor Ray was influential in teaching us to make the Bible our manual for life. Nothing else was needed and nothing else mattered. He taught us to keep our eyes on Jesus, love God, our neighbors, and the Bible. We can't wait to see him again. God is good all the time. It's so encouraging to hear how Pastor Ray's teachings have touched so many lives through the years, and your prayers are cherished by the Bentley family. If you have a message to share, you can email us, ray at raybentley.com, or post a comment on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Well, let's look at the next life lesson that we can see within our story here. Let's read verses 50. 1 through 53, it says, and suddenly one of those, so that right after Judas came up, oh, Rabbi, there you are, Jesus, and now they go, okay, that's the guy. Suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? 
Wow. I, I put here character is revealed by the choices we make in the midst of crisis. Well, as we read here, there's a disciple, one of the disciples who becomes impulsive and volatile. Who do you think that it is? Well, if you've read the other gospels, you already know that it is Peter. And Peter may have actually been emboldened to do what he did, because if you're talking about hundreds of soldiers with swords and spears and everything, where in the world even, there were only two of the disciples that even had something that they, you know, two swords among the other 11 disciples. What gave Peter that boldness? Well, he may have been emboldened that a few moments earlier when all of these soldiers came and there's Jesus and Jesus led the conversation, who are you looking for? And they, now on the defensive a little bit, said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus looked them directly in the eye and he said, I am he. I am. That is within that in the Hebrew language, the very name of God. I am that I am. And amazingly, the gospels tell us that when Jesus asked them a question, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. They all fell down. And there was a revelation of the Shekinah. This was supernatural. The disciples knew it. And the soldiers saw it and were affected by it. And they all got knocked down. Who is this guy that says, I am he? And we all fall down. Who's really in charge here? Who's really in control? But maybe in that brief moment of the supernatural, can you imagine a thousand soldiers falling down? And Peter goes, this is it, this is our time. Here we go. And he grabs and he swings. Now, he was trying to chop the guy's head off and he missed. <laughs> and he cuts off his ear. And the gospels tell us that Jesus put the ear back on the guy's head and the next thing you know, it reattaches. There's another sign. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And he was demonstrating the power of God, the glory of God, when they all were knocked down by him saying, I am he. And now healing a fresh wound where the guy's ear literally reattaches. He was showing, I'm here. You, you can't come for me. And then he talks about all of these these angels, but before we look at that, I wanna look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses four and five. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And it goes on to say, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So I want you to listen to me. You and I cannot go backwards. I mean, Peter, he blew it. What Peter did, you know, yes, Jesus had said earlier, hey, get swords and get ready and get prepared. But when he had said that, he was talking spiritually. Because only two of the disciples even had swords. What are two guys with swords that are fishermen or tax collector or whatever, what are they gonna do with a thousand policemen and Roman guards or whatever? Jesus does not use the arm of warfare to bring the kingdom of heaven. And that's why 
Later, the apostle Paul, who saw the glory of the Lord in Jesus and was transformed and saved and born again, is the one who wrote for the weapons of our warfare in the kingdom of heaven against the fallen kings and gods of this world are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty through God to the taking down of every evil stronghold. And how do we do that? By taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now Peter in the test blew it. Peter could not go back and undo what he'd already done, let alone later denying the Lord three times, which is going to happen. So what do you do when you've already really blown it? You've already failed the test. Listen, you and I cannot go backwards in our past mistakes and past failures and change what we have done. But here's what we can do. We can say, Lord, I humble myself before you and I want to be a different man. I want to be a different woman. I want to be a man of character. I want to be a woman of God. And from now on, when I have a fleshly thought or a fleshly solution to something, I want to take that thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. I want to be a person of character and of integrity and of loving kindness. And by the way, do you know this is what Peter did? Peter couldn't go backwards, but guess what? Peter would go forward and Peter repented and he received forgiveness from the Lord and he became a mighty man of God and a man of the spirit. And he wrote letters that were included in the New Testament, God's inspired word. And he ended his life by being a martyr. Peter himself, according to church historians tell us, was martyred. He was crucified, even by story, upside down. For he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was. So he became a different man, a godly man, a spiritual man because he began to take his thoughts captive to the Lord. And then verse 53 talks about Jesus saying, hey, no, that's not what I'm about. I'm not here to fight these guys in a physical way. In fact, I'm really here to fulfill prophecy. And my father is required through prayer that I go to the cross. He says, I could have called 12 legions of angels. A Roman legion was composed of 6,000 soldiers. Jesus is saying, do you not know that I could right now give the word and they're there ready and waiting, 72,000 angels would show up just like that. And these guys here would be no contest for them. Well, let's go to the next point here of application. Prophecy demonstrates that God is in charge. Look with me at verse 54. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled? So after saying I could have called 72,000 angels, Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm about here today. For then how could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Everybody failed the test that night. 
But I want to say this, prophecy demonstrates that God is in charge. And I want to say that on that night, there was a tremendous crisis. There was a lot of fear for a lot of reasons. There was great chaos. But God Almighty was in the midst of the crisis. God Almighty's plan was even unfolding in the midst of the chaos that night. This was the plan and the purpose of God all unfolding and prophesied that it would come to pass. And this was a prophecy 700 years before Jesus came to this night. It's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said would happen to the Messiah when he came to his own people, the Jewish people. Isaiah says the Messiah would be betrayed. Then it says, and he'll be betrayed by a friend. He will be despised and forsaken by men. He will also be a man of great sorrows, very moved emotionally, tenderness, compassion for the people of Israel and for the world. He goes on to say he will be pierced through for our transgressions. He will be chastened, but it will be for our healing and our well-being. Isaiah goes on to say, and this really is very moving and touching, that the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Why? If he would render himself as a guilt offering, for he will justify multitudes and he will bear their iniquities. This was the plan of God. This was the purpose of God. This wasn't something that happened to Jesus or they took advantage of him. God had known it. God the Father had planned it. He had predicted it. He had laid it out. Jesus had grown up his whole life preparing for it and now was willing and able to give himself for the Father's will, if this is what it will take. He loved us enough to lay down his life. The Father loved us enough that he gave his Son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So whatever the world's purposes might be, whatever their plans were, they didn't realize that by crucifying Jesus, both the Jewish people and the Gentiles through the Roman military were accomplishing scripture. They were accomplishing the Jewish scriptures. Jesus demonstrated his power and his glory and his character and his integrity and his loving kindness in the hour of chaos, in the hour of crisis. The beautiful character that came through Jesus was literally, that has to be God manifest in human form, the Son of God that takes away the sins of the world. Important insights on God's plan for our redemption from Pastor Ray Bentley today here on Maranatha Radio. Now today's study is titled, The Test of Character. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. 
When you get to the homepage, you can leave a tribute to Pastor Ray's life and service to the Lord. Also, click the word media, and you'll see the words watch, radio, and Devo, three engaging ways you can enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can link to Pastor Ray's Facebook page, his podcast, his YouTube channel, and Twitter feed. And you'll also find Pastor Ray's books there at raybentley.com. His new book, The Final Witness, is an engaging prophetic fiction novel, part of the Elijah Chronicles series. It's riveting and educational at the same time. And raybentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also donate securely right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Or our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Matthew. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.